Good morning again. So glad you guys are here today. It's been a special day here at the village. We celebrated baptisms at both services, uh, Henry at the first service, and then uh, the Alderman sisters, they, they disappeared. Where'd they go? It's not like they, you know, they couldn't sit being completely soaked. I'm, I'm sure they'll be back. No, uh, but we're celebrating. We're celebrating with them today and just celebrating all that God has done and continues to do. And I'm so excited to get to be here and celebrate that with you. And so what I want to do is basically, I just want to cut to the chase of where we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 today. So in Luke chapter 19, at the end of this story that we'll talk about in a minute, Jesus looks at a man named Zacchaeus and he says these words to him. He says, today salvation has come to this house. Today salvation has come to this house. That's a really incredible, amazing thing to say to somebody. Today salvation has come to this house. That word salvation, it means so much more than what it's often come to mean in our 21st century understanding of the word salvation. So many of us, we, many of us have no understanding of the word salvation or the depth of its meaning because we just haven't talked about it or been exposed to it. And then on the other side of that coin or continuum, we have people who uh, they have an understanding, they've got a familiarity with the word salvation, but it's a really narrow and limited understanding of the word. And when Jesus talked about salvation, he wasn't just talking about something that happens after we die, but he had a much broader, richer meaning of the word salvation. And so when Jesus says today, salvation has come to this house, what's he saying? He's saying today forgiveness has come to this house. Today healing has come to this house. Today rescue has come to this house. Today even, even miracles, things that we couldn't expect could actually ever happen have come to this house. Today a breakthrough against all odds has come to this house. Wholeness has come to this house. Fulfillment has come to this house. Restoration and reconciliation. Purpose has come to this house today. Today, this person has been set free from some things that have been holding them back. Today, I love this. When Jesus talks about salvation, here's one thing that he means. Today, the past has been wiped clean. And this person is no longer identified by what they once did or by who they once were, but instead they've been given a second chance and a second lease on life. Today, salvation has come to this house. And I'm just curious if there's anybody honest here today, is there anybody who could use any one of those things to come to your house today? Today, salvation has come to this house. I believe that what Jesus said to Zacchaeus and to his house 2,000 years ago, I believe it can be true for your house today. That's what I'm praying for us today. And so I don't know. I'm not a mind reader. I'll own that up front. I don't know what you've brought in here with you today. I don't know what challenges you're facing. I don't know what frustrations are in your pathway. I don't know the kind of the details of your reality this week. I don't know the places where you're hurting or where you're frustrated, but I assume that there are some people who have some places where there's pain and where there's frustration. I don't know about the mistakes that you've made or the mistakes that have been made to you. I don't know that. I don't know all of that. I know some of the mistakes that y'all have made. That was mostly a joke, but I, I, don't, I don't know about those things. But what I do know is this, that what Jesus promises to Zacchaeus, what he kind of declares to Zacchaeus about salvation, I believe that can be true 
for you today. No matter who you are, where you are, where you've been, what you've done, I think Jesus wants to look at you today and say, today, salvation, rescue, healing, reconciliation, forgiveness, a second chance can come to your house. It has come to your house. One of the things I said last week um, that was a New Year's resolution for me for our church, and, and I'm included in that, is that we would show up on Sunday mornings with expectation that we would show up expecting that God's going to do something, that God's going to say something, right? That God's going to do something in you or through you. I, I said, I would love for us to expect that in 2024. And the reason I set that as a New Year's resolution, this is confessional, is because very often in my life in ministry, I have shown up not expecting God to do anything. I'll just be real honest. I've shown up expecting that it's all on me. That if something's going to happen, I'm going to have to do it. That's how I've shown up expecting that. And so I've been in ministry for 20, 25 years. And, um, and a lot of the time in my past, that's what I've expected. I've expected that it's on me and that I've got to be funny or clever or cute to try to make something happen. And recently I was looking in the mirror and I was realizing you're not cute, right? <laughs> you're just not. There's nothing about your reflection that is cute. And the good news is I don't have to be. And you don't have to be. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be cute. You don't have to be fun. You don't have to be funny. It's not on you. It's not about you. It's about God working in you and through you. And that's what I'm hoping and praying for today. When Jesus said today salvation has come to your house, he didn't say because of what you've done. It's not about what, what you've done. It's not about what I've done. It's about what Jesus has already done. That's where the power comes from. And so I want to just expect today for us who are gathered here that Jesus might say that to you today that Jesus might say that to you today. So having said all of that, I want to now turn to Luke chapter 19 and start at the beginning and kind of walk through this. And then I just want to pretend for a minute that Zacchaeus could be here, standing here, giving us some advice. And my question is, what advice would Zacchaeus give to us today as we're gathered here? But let's start with the story. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, what, what do you know about Zacchaeus? Anybody? Say that a little louder. He was short. Anybody else ever learn a song that? Thank you. Yeah, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I'm sure he was so glad that that's what's lived on about him throughout history. It's a, yeah, I learned this. I learned this when I was a kid, Zacchaeus was a wee little, sing along with me, wee little man was he, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and some of you are looking at me like I have grown two heads, because you don't know that song, maybe you haven't heard that song, but I feel like in the, that's like a staple of Southern Sunday school is the song about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. Now that may be true. We, we do learn that that is true according to Luke, but Zacchaeus was more than a wee little man. Zacchaeus, actually, if you read the story, Zacchaeus was at the very top of a very successful pyramid scheme, right? Zacchaeus was filthy rich. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief Tax collector. Here's what that means. In the first century, this is how it worked. For somebody to become a chief 
tax collector. They'd have to go to the Roman government, maybe speak to the governor or another government official, and they would make a bid to become the tax collector of an area. And then when they made the bid, their bid was basically, this is how much money I will give you to become the tax collector in this area. And when the government accepted the bid, they didn't care how you got your money or how much money you got as long as they got their money. And so Zacchaeus, uh, as a chief tax collector, he would have recruited other tax collectors and they probably would have recruited other tax collectors who may have recruited other tax. It's a giant tax pyramid scheme. And Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was at the very top of the pyramid scheme. And so he probably overcharged his tax collectors who overcharged their tax collectors who overcharged their tax collectors who then overcharged and extorted the people. And that's how he became so filthy rich. Now, not only was he rich, but he was one of the richest men in one of the richest towns in the whole country. Jericho was known as the city of palms. It was like the Beverly Hills of Israel, right? And so Zacchaeus, uh, he made his money by overtaxing rich people, which means he made more money probably than other chief tax collectors. And so he probably had his Jericho Beverly Hills mansion. He had an apartment in Jerusalem, right? I imagine he had a, that lake house by the Sea of Galilee. He had his condo by the Mediterranean. He had the finest clothes. He had the finest food. He had the finest servants. Anything Zacchaeus wanted, he could have. I, I took a stab at writing just an alternate, some alternate lyrics to the Zacchaeus song. Do you want to hear them? Thank you. Thank you, one person who happens to work here. Thank you, one person who gets paid to say yes when I ask a question. Like, Thank you. Anybody else want to hear? Yeah, here, I'm going to sing it anyway. I, I'm kind of working through it, you know. First service had some suggestions. It kind of goes like this. Uh, Zacchaeus was a rich little man at the top of a pyramid scheme. He extorted lots of money from his peeps and he made them want to scream. If you have suggestions, you can write it on your Connect card. That's totally fine. I'm still working. I'll come back next week and, uh, and sing more. I won't. So please come back, right? That was, that was a joke. So here's Zacchaeus. And then in verse 3, this is interesting. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, there you go. Thanks a lot, Luke. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming that Way. Now, here's my question. Knowing what we know about Zacchaeus, that he had as much money as anybody could ever want. He probably had all the houses and all the things that anybody could ever want. Anything Zacchaeus ever wanted, he had. So here's my question. Why is he looking for Jesus if he's so successful already? If he's got everything that he could ever want, why is he looking for something else? Like, there's nobody richer there's nobody more powerful. There's nobody more well-known. Everybody knows Zacchaeus. Now, they don't like him, but everybody knows him. He's got a reputation. It's not a good reputation, but at least he's famous. Everybody knows him. What do you get the guy who already has everything that he could already have, right? And, and here's what I think was going on for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was in the middle of learning a lesson in life that many of us have learned or are learning or, or maybe will learn along the way. And it's simply this. There are challenges that are going to come your way in life. And no matter how much money you have, you won't be able to solve the challenge in front of you. There are going to be times in your life. There are going to be times in your life when your success 
and your experience and your achievement and your accolades and your status can only take you so far. And when you get to the end of those things, and you will get to the end of those things, every single one of those things will run out at some point in life. So when you get to the end of your resources, when you get to the end of your knowledge, when you get to the end of your control, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm like, I'll never get to the end of my control. I want to control. Anybody else like that? Okay, two honest people, right? When you get to the end of your control, there will be problems that you can't solve. There will be questions that you can't answer. There will be desire in your life that you can't fulfill. And, and at some point in your life, you'll recognize there is a gaping hole in your heart. And it's looking for something else. It's longing for something more. It's hoping for something deeper. And I think that's what's happening with Zacchaeus. He's got everything that he could imagine. He's got everything anybody could ever want. He's wealthy, but he's not happy. He's not settled. He's not content. Probably Zacchaeus was lonely because he'd chosen a pathway in life where he was despised because all he'd done is extort his fellow citizens of the town of Jericho. And he's, he's been stealing money from them off the top for years. He's hated. He's despised. And he's looking for something more. He's realized that his wealth and his resources and his knowledge and his expertise and his control and his staff of tax collectors, none of it is giving him what he wants and what he's looking for and what he desires in life. But here's what's different on this day. He's alone with himself at night. He's asking these deep questions of the human heart that everybody asks if they're honest. But on this day, he's heard that something different is about to happen. He's heard that Jesus is coming through town. He's heard that Jesus is the type of person who actually eats with tax collectors and sinners. And he's hoping, he's hoping that maybe on this day, something's going to change for him. Something will be different for him. And so he heard that Jesus was coming through town. He knew the route that Jesus would be taking through town. He couldn't see Jesus through the crowd. And so he ran ahead on the route and he climbed up a tree, which is really awkward for a grown man wearing a robe. But that's what he did. He climbed up in this tree and he waited, but he never could have expected what happened next. And it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He is going to be the guest of a sinner. That's how the muttering sounds in my, I don't know if you read about muttering in the Bible. I don't know how, that's how it sounds in my head. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus, I thought it was funny, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything and he had, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, this is where the line comes in. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. In other words, he's part of the family. He's part of our family of faith. And then Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I want to point out a few things. There are several things I think Zacchaeus, if we, if we could just interview him today, that I think he might say to us as words of advice. And I just want to say there are five things that I want to point out. There might be more than this, but here's the top five that I could think of. If Zacchaeus were to say, here's some advice I have for you. If you're, if you're trying to take full advantage of the life that God has to offer you, here are five things I might say to you. Number one, follow the nudge. Follow the nudge. 
right? This whole story started because Zacchaeus had a nudge in his heart to do something different. And he followed the nudge. A lot of people, I've heard people say this before. I've thought this before that like, hey, life would be easier if God, when God wanted to communicate with me, if God would just smack me in the head with a two by four, or if God would just stand in front of me and just speak very loudly and audibly and directly. Anybody feel like you might prefer that? Anybody here this morning? Is anybody here? Okay, I just want to check. I just like to check from time to time. Yeah, so uh, that's how I think we would prefer God to communicate. But in my own experience and my own life and what I've read in the scripture, God's usually more of a whisperer than a shouter. When I hear from God, it's almost always a nudge and not a shove. And so I just ask you today, is there something that you felt a nudge to do? Just a little nudge. Anything you've ever just felt a little nudge in your heart to do? Is there something you felt a nudge not to do? Is there somebody you felt a nudge to reach out to? Is there something you felt a nudge to start? Is there something you felt a nudge to stop? Because here's what happens. God most often speaks in these small, subtle nudges in our hearts. And I think Zacchaeus might say to you today, hey, hey, follow the nudge. Follow the nudge. Second thing I think Zacchaeus might say as a word of advice is overcome the obstacles Right, Zacchaeus was short, the crowd was tall, so he climbed a tree in order to follow the nudge he had to see Jesus. Uh, Heather, who's on our staff, her son Henry was baptized at the first service, so she was sitting right here. And, and Heather, um, Heather talks all the time about how she has a tall presence. That's how she describes herself. If you met Heather or stood next to Heather, you might have felt her tall presence, but she has a very short reality, right? <laughs> Tall presence, short reality. That's what's going on with Zacchaeus. He has a short reality and he realizes that he comes to the crowd. He can't see over the crowd. He can't see Jesus. And instead of using that as an excuse for why he can't follow the nudge, he overcomes the obstacle. He figures it out. He climbs a tree so that he can see Jesus. Now, when we're trying to follow the nudges that God has placed on our hearts, sometimes the obstacles are external. Sometimes the obstacles are internal. All right, there might be external obstacles for you. Maybe you don't have the resources that you think you need to do the thing that you feel like you're being nudged to do. Maybe there are internal obstacles for you. Maybe, maybe it's pride. All of us wrestle with pride. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's addiction of some sort. Maybe it's even your past, your past choices, your past mistakes, and they just make you feel like you've got to say stuck. Uh, I'm thinking of the kid's book that we used to read to our boys, Stuck in the Muck, right? The duck was stuck in the muck. Maybe it makes you feel like, I didn't plan, that's not in the notes, that was free. <laughs> Maybe you feel stuck in the shame of your past, and that's an internal obstacle for you. And I think Zacchaeus might look at you today and look at me today and would say, you know what? When you're nudged, you're going to have obstacles, but you've got to overcome the obstacles. Overcome the obstacles. Sometimes, I've noticed this, sometimes I think there's some struggle built into the system of life, and, and it's not to stop us as much as it is to strengthen us. And that's not to say, I'm not, I'm not a believer that everything happens for a reason and that God makes everything bad happen. I'm not, that's not my theology. That's not my understanding of God. But I think that sometimes there is struggle built into the system. And if we walk away from the obstacle, if we walk away from the struggle, we're actually walking away from an opportunity to become stronger. Uh, I, I read on the internet, so I'm sure it's true, that um, that was a joke, by the way, right? That a baby chicken, when it's hatching from an egg, that, uh, that once that egg starts to crack, if somebody goes in and they open up that egg for the chicken, 
that it actually doesn't gain the strength that it needs in order to breathe on its own. There's something about the struggle of breaking through from the egg that strengthens the wings and strengthens the lungs of the chicken so that when it finally hatches out on its own, it's got the strength to take its first breath of free air. When we overcome the obstacles, sometimes it can strengthen us for what's ahead. I think Zacchaeus would say, you're going you're gonna to face obstacles when you follow the nudge. You just got to overcome the obstacles. Number three, uh, this one's really important, especially in 2020. I almost said 23, but it's not. It's 24. Uh, ignore the critics. Ignore the critics. So Jesus stopped. He looked up at Zacchaeus. He called him down from the tree. He said, I need to eat at your house today. Zacchaeus came down from the tree and the whole crowd started to cheer. That's not what it says. Anybody remember the word? The whole crowd started to mutter. They started to mutter. There are lots of people who give up because of what somebody else says. And there are a lot of people who say a lot of things. And in 2024, everybody's got a keyboard or a phone and an opinion. And the voices of the critics can get really, really loud. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. Maybe you haven't, but I'm guessing then you haven't been breathing in 2024 if you haven't experienced that. There are critics everywhere. There are a lot of people who will try to hold you back or hold you down. Or there are a lot of people who won't let you forget what you once were or mistakes that you once made. And they try to make you stay stuck there. And, and you've got to ignore the critics. I heard somebody say this week, I'm looking at the one who matters, not the one who mutters. And they were British, so it sounded amazing. Right? I, I'm looking, I can't do it. I'm looking at the, it just sounds cheesy when I say it, but in, in British... That language, it sounded great. I'm looking at the one who matters, not the one who mutters. If you spend your life looking at the critics and only listening to the voices of the critics, you're going to get depressed. You're going to feel defeated. You're probably going to give up. And in this moment, instead of listening to the muttering critics, Zacchaeus stayed focused on Jesus. And he said, the voice of Jesus is the most important voice. That's the voice I'm going to listen to. And he might say that to us today. If you're following the nudge and you're facing obstacles and you're hearing the voice of critics, just ignore the critics. Ignore the critics. Fourth thing, I love this as well. Expect the impossible. Zacchaeus might say, hey, expect the impossible. Just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 18, you read the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's in that same kind of boat as Zacchaeus, like I have everything, I've done everything, got everything at my disposal, but there's something missing. What do I need to do to find it? And Jesus says, what you need to do is sell everything, give it away, and then come and follow me and you'll find the life that you're looking for. And it says the rich man walked away sad. And in that moment, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's almost impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody's listening to Jesus freaked out and they're like, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus replied with this line. He said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then in the very next chapter, Zacchaeus is a very rich man. And Jesus looks at him and says, today. Last chapter, I said, this was impossible. Boom, today, salvation has come to this man's house. Expect the impossible, right? You might be feeling an obstacle that feels impossible. You can't see around it. You can't go around it. And I would just say, and Zacchaeus would probably say to you today, guess what? Sometimes that's where God does his best work when we're up against something that feels impossible. 
Expect the impossible. At the very beginning of Luke's gospel, it's the only other time that that word impossible makes its way into the gospel. An angel makes an announcement and says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Expect the impossible. And then finally, the fifth thing is accept the challenge. Accept the challenge. Right? Following Jesus comes with challenge. If anybody tells you that following Jesus is easy and the rest of your life, if you're following Jesus will be easy and simple and straightforward, they are not telling you the truth. I talked about the Alderman girls crossing the starting line of faith today. And if you keep running the race of faith, it's going to be challenging. It's not going to be easy. Everything's not going to be easy, but that's okay. That's okay. God's with you every step of the way in that, except the challenge. The story ends with, with Zacchaeus responding to Jesus by giving away half of his money to the poor. And then he says, with the other half, if I've cheated anybody, he's a chief tax collector, he's cheated everybody. If I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give back four times the amount to them. And Zacchaeus might say to us today, he might say to you today, hey, following Jesus, it comes with a challenge. But you got to accept the challenge because if Jesus, if Jesus tells you to give your money away, you should give your money away. Right, if, Jesus, if Jesus tells you to, uh, to give your life to a call to ministry, you should give your life to a call to ministry. If Jesus tells you to do something, you should do it. If Jesus tells you to say something, you should say it. Why? Because you'll regret it if you don't. And you'll never find a way in life that's as good, even as the most challenging pathway that Jesus might have in front of you. Accept the challenge. I think that's what Zacchaeus would say to us today. And then I'll close with this, and then we're going to have a time to pray and share in communion. Uh, the line that Jesus says at the very end of this story is like the whole gospel of Luke summed up in one verse. So we're now in our, uh, we're in our third calendar year looking at the gospel of Luke. And um, by the end, we will have spent, we started in November of 2022, 23, 24, that's three calendar. I'm just making sure I do my math right, right? We're in our third calendar year. By the end of April, we will have, we will have spent about 70 weeks in the gospel of Luke. We're almost there, y'all. Just, just hang on. We're almost there. But if somebody said, hey, you got to pick one verse in all of Luke that kind of sums up all of Luke, what would it be? It'd be Luke 19.20 when Jesus says these words. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's the whole thesis of the gospel message. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. For Jesus came to seek and to save the people and the things that were lost. That's the whole thesis. That's the whole good news of Jesus, right? Jesus didn't come for the perfect people. Whew. Right? Jesus didn't come for the people who make all the right decisions all the time. Is there anybody who does that? You always make the right decision? Anybody who always says the right thing at the right time, always, every time. Anybody who's never made a mistake in life. Anybody who's never experienced brokenness or pain. Anybody who ever, at the end of, the, at the end of every day, you say, you know what? I did everything right today. Wish everybody could be as good as me, right? Anybody like that? That's probably good because that's not who Jesus came for. Jesus came for the people who've messed it all up. Jesus came for the people who never know the right thing to say. Jesus came for the people who look in the mirror at night and their, their hearts are filled with regret. Jesus came for the people who are constantly frustrated and feeling lost and feeling alone. Jesus came for the people who are in pain. Jesus came for the people who are sick. Jesus came for the people who are alone. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the whole message of the gospel in one verse. Jesus didn't, I love this. Jesus didn't sit off at a distance and expect us to find our way to him. I think that's how we operate a lot of the time. Like we think we got to earn our way to Jesus. That's how a lot of religious systems are built. You got to earn your way to Jesus. You got to score up enough Jesus points to finally get there in the end. The gospel message is the complete opposite of that, that Jesus came to us. He came to seek and to save, right? In a, in a game of hide and go seek, Jesus is always it. That's the message of the gospel in a nutshell. And so I want us to spend a few minutes praying this morning. If you'd close your eyes, just take a deep breath. There's really two things I want to ask us to pray about this morning. The first is this. It's, it's, it's about you. It's about your own heart. It's about your own life. All right, the story says that Zacchaeus, though he was rich, though he had everything that he could ever want, at least according to the world standards, that in a moment when he felt like it wasn't what he was looking for, it says he decided that he wanted to see Jesus because he was hoping for something more. He was longing for something different wanted to see Jesus. And so I'm just curious this morning, could be, could be the first time for you, could be the first time in a long time, could just be a continuation of this decision that you've made daily. Is there anybody who feels like today, like you're, you're at the end, right? You, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know where to go. You don't know what else to try. And you want to see Jesus. And maybe Jesus could be the thing that works for you. Is there anybody who, who feels like you want to try? You want to see Jesus. If you'd raise your hand, just raise your hand. You would say today, you want to see who Jesus is. You want to see what Jesus is all about. You want to see if Jesus can do what he promises to do. If that's you, would you raise your hand? So God, we come to you today. Those of us with our actual hands raised or just we're raising our hands in our heart. We come to you today because we, we need something different than what we've experienced. We need something more. We can't seem to figure it out on our own. We can't seem to heal ourselves. We can't seem to forgive ourselves. We can't seem to, to make it all right. And today, God, we just want to see if maybe you can do something different. So with our hands raised or hands raised in our hearts, we simply come to you and say, we want to see you. We want to follow the nudge. We want to overcome the obstacle. We want to ignore the critics. We want to accept the challenge. God, we, we want to see Jesus. So I pray that today you'd just reveal yourself to us and speak to our hearts. And then in a moment, we're going to share in communion. If you're serving communion this morning, would you go ahead and come forward and take your place as the rest of us kind of remain in this posture of prayer? And just with your eyes closed and with a prayerful attitude and spirit, I want to go back to this line that Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so I just ask you to think about this this morning. Who do you know? Who, who needs to experience the love and grace of God? Who do you know who's hurting? Who do you know who feels alone? Who do you know who's frustrated? Who do you know who might need an extra measure of God's grace? 
And during this time of communion, I wanna ask you to pray specifically for that person or those people by name. So it could be when you come to receive communion, you stop at one of these kneelers and you pray by name. Could be that you take communion, you go back to your seat and you, you pray for that person by name. But who's somebody that, that we could pray for, that you could pray for, that this year might be the year that they hear today, salvation has come to this house. Healing, restoration, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Who can you pray for today? And so in just a moment, you'll be invited to come forward to receive this bread, which represents the body of Christ that's been broken for us. And you can dip it in the cup, which represents the blood of Christ that's been broken for us. Then I want to invite you to stop, kneel, pray. And so God, we pray right now that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us as we're gathered here. And on these gifts of bread and the cup, that you would make, make these simple elements be for us, the body and blood of Christ so that we can be the body of Christ to the world. And so by your Holy Spirit's power, make us one with you, make us one with each other, and make us one as we go out to serve the community in Jesus' name. And so friends, this time is open. These stations for communion and prayer are open, and you're invited to come as you feel led.